This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you on this Saturday, our first Saturday in October. And this is our 63rd consecutive program in dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And there's so much going on in this field um, that I'm really looking forward to our guest today. Our guest is going to be Dr. Anna Natanson. And Dr. Natanson is an uh, obstetrician and gynecologist, but she did a fellowship in maternal fetal medicine. The statistics are staggering when it comes to pregnant women. I didn't realize this, uh, but in the month of August, 22 pregnant women died from COVID-19. Pregnant women are twice as likely to need intensive care if they become infected with this virus. And those women are 70% more likely to die as opposed to a pregnant woman who has been vaccinated. You know, pregnancy is such a stressful situation um, when you're carrying uh, a child. And that adds to the complexity if you develop any illness. So it's baffling to find out why people who are pregnant are not becoming vaccinated. And and it's true, only 31% of pregnant women uh, are vaccinated against the COVID-19 virus. And only 15.6% of black women who are pregnant are vaccinated. So we're going to be talking about this information um, with Dr. Natanson uh, in the second half of the program. Uh, there's so much going on, especially with respect to the vaccine. Um, we now have had the lowest rate of vaccine distributed uh, on any day, and that was in the past week of when only 172,000 vaccinations administered. Um, I got my booster shot this week. Uh, I had the Pfizer vaccine. My second shot was in January, and I'm over the age of 65, so I qualified to get the booster. Let me reassure people who are thinking about the booster, it ain't bad. Um, I had a sore arm after. Uh, the next day, I went to work, uh, felt fine, um, probably a little bit more fatigued maybe uh, if I were to read into it at all, but uh, nothing different than when I got it before. So uh, with that, I urge those of you who are, qual who are qualified to get it um, to go and get it. Uh, there was an article this week talking about people who uh, are being careful in terms of wearing a mask, not going to restaurants, uh, trying to remain socially distanced, as being these poor souls who are uh, imprisoned. Uh, it was it was interesting. And I consider myself one of those people. I, I personally am being extremely careful 
about the COVID virus, not only for my own health, but I have an obligation to my patients to remain healthy and be able to care for them. So my wife and I are very careful, but I don't think we feel imprisoned at all. For example, uh, tomorrow we're going to a, a birthday party uh, and there'll be 25 people there. What makes it safe is the fact that the host and hostess I know are careful and vaccinated. And in fact, they know that all the attendees are vaccinated. They're holding the party outside and there will be children there. And that's why they want to be careful because it's a child's birthday party. But again, I don't feel that it's unsafe. And in fact, uh, again, I don't feel imprisoned uh, by anything uh, that I do. Do do I go to restaurants? No, I get takeout. Uh, and that's fine with me. Do I get to socialize? Yeah, but it's outdoors. Uh, and so this thought that if you are careful, you are now a prisoner is totally misleading. It's possible to be careful right now and, uh, you know, and live a normal life. Uh, I avoid getting on a plane. I do a lot of lecturing, but so far all of the people who have hired me to lecture have been happy with the fact that I do it on Zoom or remotely. Uh, in fact, I'm doing a national presentation in two weeks uh, in such a way. Uh, and, and honestly, I don't miss the hassle of flying uh, from the standpoint of canceled flights. This was before COVID, the canceled flights, delayed flights, sitting around. Uh, so uh, with that, uh, I want people to understand that it's important to be careful. We reached a sad milestone this week. Over 700,000 Americans are now dead from COVID-19. Our vaccination rate in the United States is 56% of those uh, of Americans are fully vaccinated. If you take into consideration only people over the age of 12, it's up to 64%. And the Connecticut uh, positivity rate uh, has actually uh, dropped. It's down to about 2% right now. And 68% of, um, of Connecticut citizens are fully vaccinated. So we're doing well here. And for people who don't understand that, you just need to look at the statistics from the standpoint of what states are doing well and which ones are not. I think that we also need to really relook at a lot of the things we've talked about in terms of things like herd immunity. So I had a patient uh, this week, and this gentleman, uh, you know, was not vaccinated. He was he was okay with complying with uh, the, the fact that he had to be tested before seeing me. But when I said, you know, you're not really being a good citizen by not being vaccinated. And he didn't understand why I would say that. So let me explain to you. Herd immunity, a concept we've not talked about lately, was the idea that if a certain level of population get vaccinated, the virus has nowhere to go to replicate and dies. That was our previous goal. 
when the vaccine came out. We're not going to get there. We realize it's not attainable because so many people have refused to be vaccinated. Instead, now, our goal is to get to a level where we don't have to hospitalize people or they won't die. People will continue to get ill. But if we can get to a certain level of immunity, either natural or through the vaccine, we will be in a better place. We won't have people overrunning hospitals. I won't have patients who have had strokes or things such as that not be able to get into hospitals, which is the case in Idaho now. Idaho, there's a state I, I never give much thought to, but now it's in the news every day because of what's going on there. And fortunately, this is not going on in Connecticut. But So the idea is to reach this level of protection. And it's not a coincidence that the states that have the highest level of vaccination have the fewest number of cases. Right? So their hospitals are not overrun. And that's why we've done well here. So we have to look at what happens is if someone's not vaccinated, their only hope of staying safe is that everybody else gets vaccinated. And to my thinking, that's not being a good citizen. Because our goal is to help each other out. Another analogy would be littering, right? A litter bug. I probably dated myself with that term, but if someone's a litter, say you just say, hey, I got to write. I'm just going to throw my paper on the, my wrapper on the ground and hope that someone else comes to pick it up. Whether it be an employee, another person, someone who cares about their lawn to pick it up. That's what you do. Is that being a good citizen by throwing paper on the on the street after you're done with it? I think we could all agree that that's not. If you could imagine a situation where everybody felt that way, everybody just said, listen, we're just going to throw our garbage on the street and hope somebody picks it up. It's the same situation we're in now. If you can get vaccinated, get vaccinated. That's what a good citizen does. You don't throw paper on the street. You don't hope somebody else does it so I don't have to do it. I keep hearing people say, well, this is what America is about, right? The freedom of not being vaccinated. I disagree. I think America is about helping your neighbor and helping your fellow citizens. And I'm proud to be from a state where, for the most part, we've moved in the right direction. But we still have a long way to go. And I respect people who are hesitant about a vaccine or skeptical of a vaccine. That's okay. We could have a conversation. But when you're defiant or a cynic or believing in false science or not even science, I don't think we have anything to talk about. You have to do what's best for your community. With that, in the next segment, we're going to answer questions. I had so many great questions last week. I'm hoping to get more this week. Uh, just send your questions over to me at info at alessimd.com. We are not taking live calls, but I'm going to answer your questions. And in this case, get an expert to help me out in answering some of the great questions I got last week. Again, if you want to send questions now, uh, I can answer them live on the program or with my guest. 
uh, Dr. Anna Natanzen uh, at info at alessimd.com. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi this morning, 11 till noon on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. We're back on Healthy Rounds. And as promised, uh, I got uh, some really great questions last week that I want to go over this week for everyone to understand. So, and in order to get the answers to some of these questions and substantiate my beliefs, um, I contacted my good friend, Dr. David Bannock. Dr. Bannock is the chief of infectious diseases at the University of Connecticut. So the first question was, can vaccinated people infect others who are not vaccinated? And this speaks to something we previously believed, which was we could possibly get to a level of what's called sterilizing immunity, where you became so immune, had so many antibodies that you could not spread the virus. But the answer is actually yes. Um, vaccinated people can infect others. Um, and it, it possibly can happen because uh, the risk of a vaccinated person affecting others is much lower than an unvaccinated person. And the reason is because if you're vaccinated, when you get the virus, you shed the live virus for a much shorter period of time because your immune system attacks this virus. So your, vi your, your immune system is primed now, it's locked and loaded to kill off this virus. So if it goes in your nose, it's only there for a short period of time. So that means you are less contagious than someone who is unvaccinated. And contagiousness is what our goal is, to stop the contagiousness of the virus. The next question was good, was what is the percentage of people hospitalized who were previously infected? Okay, so people who were previously infected uh, what are the percentages of those people who are now hospitalized? And again, a good question. And, and we really don't know that. Uh, but the estimation is their risk of having to be hospitalized after being infected is lower than someone who has not been infected. Um, so what it means is if you get, and we talk about this, natural immunity. So if you are infected, with the virus, your body does produce antibodies. Those antibodies are less robust than if you were to be vaccinated. And by robust, I mean effective, and they're limited in terms of its effectiveness to just that strain of virus. Don't forget, we started dealing with an alpha variant, right? Our vaccines were... 95% effective. They're less effective now. Very effective, keeping people alive, but less effective. So the answer is that you do have something, some, some immunity. Now, if you receive the vaccine after having an infection, it truly lowers the risk of having to be hospitalized much more. Because now you have this robust system of soldiers ready to destroy this virus. 
So it's important to get vaccinated even if you have had the virus. Next question. Has the percentage of hospitalizations increased for people who were previously vaccinated? Well, in the state of Connecticut, um, the estimated the estimated published data are 259 hospitalizations uh, last week. 74.9% of those were not fully vaccinated. So again, the number of hospitalizations is high. And we also know most recently that you have a 13 times higher risk of hospitalization if you're not vaccinated as opposed to unvaccinated. So if you're unvaccinated, let me make it clear, 13 times higher relative risk of hospitalization if you're unvaccinated, whereas someone who is vaccinated is much lower. So 18 out of a million or 18 out of 100,000 people who are unvaccinated will be hospitalized, whereas 1.4 out of 100,000 people will be hospitalized if they are vaccinated. So it's important to know that. It's important to know. And that's why we're wearing masks. Let's go back to it. Can people who are vaccinated spread the virus? Yes. But you're much, much less likely to spread the virus having been vaccinated. And if you wear a mask indoors in a setting where you cannot be socially distanced. The other question was, is the N95 the only effective mask? Well, first we need to understand that the N95 is not a mask. N95 is a respirator and what we call a filtering face piece respirator, meaning that it is 95% effective. It is a two-way barrier so that 95% of particles can't get in as well as particles can't get out from your mouth, whereas a mask is a one-way barrier, a surgical mask or a cloth mask. These are one-way barriers allowing the spread from your mouth not to go to others. So the importance of knowing that is that masks are most effective if more than one person wears them. So for you to wear a mask and someone else who's infected, if you're infected and you're wearing a mask, you're less likely to spread it to people around you who are not wearing masks. But by them not wearing masks and being infected, they can infect you. So that's why everyone has to do it. Again, being a good citizen. If you're in closed quarters, indoors, you have to wear a mask. And the respirator is designed for a two-way. So it's not a mask. Again, it's a respirator. So it gives you more protection. And was designed to have to be you have to be fitted for one. You have to wear the right size and it has to fit very tightly for it to be effective. So I hope I've cleared up some of those and answered your questions. If you have more questions, please don't hesitate to send them on over to info at alessimd.com. Next up, we're going to be chatting with my guest today, Dr. Anna Natanzen. She is a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist. She is 
fellowship trained in maternal fetal medicine. We have a lot of questions for her about the effects of COVID on pregnant women, on their children, on their newborns. And we also want to talk about vaccine safety if you're thinking of conceiving a child. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi this morning, 11 till noon on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. We have some great questions uh, coming in, and uh, I'm going to save some of them because next week my guest is going to be Dr. Jessica Abrantes Figueredo, who is an infectious disease specialist at St. Francis Hospital in Trinity Health of New England, and she is a colleague of uh, my uh, my guest today, Dr. Anna Natanzen. Uh, Dr. Natanzen is a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist. She is also fellowship-trained in the field of maternal-fetal medicine, and she practices at Trinity Health of New England. Anna, welcome to the show. Okay, there we go. We got a good contact. Um, uh, thanks for joining us today. Can you tell our listeners what is maternal-fetal medicine? Maternal fetal medicine is a subspecialty of obstetrics where we take care of women who are having high-risk pregnancies. So, for example, women who start out their pregnancy with epilepsy or they've had a kidney transplant or they have diabetes, they come and see us. Or during the pregnancy, if we diagnose a baby with some sort of malformation, For example, if a baby has Down syndrome or if the baby has a cardiac issue, we take care of the woman. Or when pregnancy complications come up, like problems with mom's blood pressure or problems with the placenta. And we also do the reading and interpretation of prenatal ultrasounds. So I guess you're the person to talk to about this. So there are so many misconceptions out there about the COVID virus and the COVID vaccine and how it affects pregnant women. At the beginning of the program, we talked about how in the month of August, 22 pregnant women lost their lives to COVID-19. What has been the impact of the COVID-19 virus on the field of maternal fetal health? The impact has been twofold. One of, you know, one issue is that we're actually taking care of pregnant women who are hospitalized with COVID. Then the other issue is you know, that we're trying to encourage pregnant women to get vaccinated. And I think the really big thing to think about is that a pregnant woman isn't just the same person with a baby inside. And that in order to accommodate and nourish the growing child, every organ system in mom's body changes. The heart changes, the lungs change. And what I want to talk about is, how, is that the immune system changes. Because for 40 weeks, you're carrying, you know, a child who's a very welcome foreign body, and the immune system becomes a little bit weaker in order to not reject the baby. And while this is a wonderful adaptation, it also leaves moms more vulnerable to viruses. Moms get much more sick when they get flu. Pregnant moms get much more sick when they get COVID. It's because the immune system just isn't as ramped up to fight those viruses on its own. And also because there's a lot of changes to women's lungs when they're pregnant. Because they're breathing for two, 
And there's a lot of changes that have to happen in the lungs. And some of those changes leave the mom more vulnerable to developing pneumonia as a result of getting COVID. And I think that's really why we're seeing that compared to people who are not pregnant, a lot more pregnant women get very sick, get hospitalized, intubated, and even die, which is really staggering, which is shocking because typically pregnant women are young and the rate of these complications should be even lower in, you know, in younger people. So that, that's just so interesting because are you shocked by the fact that, and is this statistic true, that only about 31% of pregnant uh, women are vaccinated? It is true that only about a quarter to one-third of pregnant women are vaccinated. Because I think when people are pregnant, they're very hesitant to put something in their body that has come out fairly recently, doesn't have a long track record. And, you know, especially because there is so much misinformation out there. And I think, you know, every time I bring it up with a patient about getting vaccinated, I can tell right away as soon as I bring it up which patients would really, really like to hear more information about it and would like to make an informed choice versus how some people really have fallen victim to all the misinformation out there. Yeah, I guess it's back to those who are hesitant and those who are defiant. Exactly. Um, uh, so here's one I heard. and mm -hmm. uh, You know, a patient uh, uh, actually who I know who is vaccinated said he heard this rumor going around about someone who had a miscarriage related to the vaccine shortly after she got vaccinated. Is there any relationship between the risk of miscarriage and being vaccinated? There is no relationship between vaccination and miscarriage. And I think something that as a society we struggle with is correlation versus causation. We're in the population in general. The rate of any pregnancy being miscarried is about 20 percent. And it varies, you know, with mom's age and health and whatnot. But miscarriage is something that's extremely common to begin with. And so statistically, there are going to be people who do get a COVID vaccine and then the next day or the next week do go on to miscarry because miscarrying is just so common. But, you know, a lot of women, when they do go through a miscarriage, they feel guilt. They feel like, what if they could have done something to prevent it? And so that's why a lot of people do say, oh, if only I hadn't gotten that COVID vaccine. But the truth is, miscarriage is something that's so common to begin with. Um, let's talk about the transfer of antibodies. So, mm -hmm. um, especially so if a woman gets vaccinated while she's pregnant, um, I understand there is the transfer of antibodies to the fetus, uh, whether they be whether she became ill from COVID or got vaccinated. How does that work? Is it an effective transfer? How does that affect the child? So actually, this transfer of antibodies from the mother to the baby is something I really try to tell patients about when encouraging them to get vaccinated. Because when a baby is born, the baby's immune system is very immature. And so for all viruses, not just COVID, the way babies get so much of their immunity is from the mom. And the way that works is that certain types of antibodies in the mom cross the placenta the placenta is porous. It's almost like when you drain pasta after you cook, you know, there's holes. And some of those antibodies go through those holes in the placenta and reach the baby. And that's how, you know, that's how you know, newborn's immune, immunity works to a certain extent, that it's antibodies they've acquired from the mother during the pregnancy. 
And it's not just true for COVID. It's true for flu or even just regular colds. And so when moms either catch COVID or get the vaccine, the antibodies do cross those holes in the placenta and reach the baby and help, the, help protect the baby after the birth. So many moms now breastfeed. Are the, are their antibodies continuing to be transferred to the child after they're born if they're breastfed? Yes. And that's actually another way that newborn immunity works is through breastfeeding. Because when, first of all, when moms get vaccinated during pregnancy, the antibodies that they formed still do enter the breast milk. And every time the baby nurses, the baby does get more of these antibodies from the milk. And when moms get the vaccine, when they're lactating, they form antibodies which enter the milk. And one of the really amazing things about breastfeeding is that when moms kiss the baby, they sample you know, the viruses and bacteria that are on the baby's skin surface, and then they form antibodies to them, which then enter the milk to help protect the baby. And so when babies are around anybody who does have COVID and the mom you know, kisses the baby and samples that, and then they crank out more antibodies that help protect the baby even more. When, when you have that conversation with a pregnant mom um, who is vaccine hesitant, I won't go to, into the defiant group now, but who is vaccine hesitant, um, what are their principal questions for you? The main questions they have is basically the risk benefit of what are the risks of vaccine during the pregnancy versus what are the risks of actually catching COVID. And you know, a lot of these moms take it really seriously. They work from home. Some, those who can't work from home, a lot of them quit their jobs. You know, because these women really, really are worried about catching COVID during the pregnancy. And so what I tell them is that as much as the COVID vaccine is new, we've been giving other vaccines in pregnancy for a long time, such as vaccines for the flu and for the whooping cough. And so we know that just having that strong immune reaction in and of itself is not dangerous to the baby. And that these vaccines you know, do help further protect the baby. And there actually have been animal studies of the new mRNA vaccines and they have shown no birth defects or anything like that in the animal studies. And that so far, we have not seen any increased risk of any problems with the pregnancy, such as miscarriage or stillbirth in response to the COVID vaccines. And I also tell them the risk to the mom of catching COVID, of being intubated, of landing in the ICU or even dying. And you know, we talk about the immune system weakening. And I also talk to them to the risk about the risks to the baby of mom having COVID infection. You know, we know that any kind of inflammation in mom's body in general can affect the baby's brain development. And we also know that the COVID virus, it does get into the placenta. And we know that it is associated with a higher risk of preterm labor. And I'd actually like to linger a little bit on this whole preterm labor issue. Please. Because, uh-huh, because Please. if mothers do get COVID when they're pregnant, and do go into preterm labor, obviously there's the risks of prematurity, which we know about. But the other issue is that we think in the obstetric community, there's thought that preterm labor is actually a stress response, that you know, when 
that I always tell patients that babies are really smart and they know when to jump ship. And so when babies actually, when babies and placentas trigger preterm labor in the mother, the thought is that it's because of an inhospitable environment. That there's something stressful to the baby and the placenta from being inside this mother. And there's even some thought that preterm labor is a mechanism through which babies rescue themselves from stillbirth. And so when I tell people that COVID infection is associated with preterm labor, it's not just that it's a risk of prematurity, but everything that that represents, that there's something very stressful to the baby about being inside a mom who's had severe COVID disease. I have to say, you've given me new insight into preterm labor as a baby jumping ship, uh, but it makes so much sense to me um, in terms of them sensing a dangerous environment. Um, do you generally recommend uh, the messenger RNA vaccine as opposed to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine to a pregnant woman? I do. Now, all of our professional bodies, like the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, the American College of OBGYN, they recommend that pregnant women take whatever vaccine is available to them because any kind of risk of any of this is lower than the risk of COVID. Now, I actually do recommend the mRNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, and that's because they are more effective in terms of preventing COVID disease. And with the J&J &J vaccine, there was that risk of thrombosis in the brain of blood clotting, which again is extremely rare, but pregnant women are, slight, are at increased risk of blood clotting to begin with. However, if a pregnant woman feels like she's, she'll only really be able to make it to get one dose of a vaccine, then it would still be reasonable to get the J&J &J one. Well, uh, what we're going to do is take a short break. Since we're on the subject of vaccine and messenger RNA, my guest today is Dr. Anna Natanzin, and uh, she's sharing with us tremendous insight into the COVID virus and how it affects pregnant women. When we come back with her, we're going to talk about vaccine safety um, in women who are contemplating conceiving a child. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi this morning, 11 till noon on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and my guest today is Dr. Anna Natanzen. Um, she is a maternal fetal specialist at Trinity Health of New England. If you wish to reach her, uh, her office number is 860-714-4378. Did I get that right, Anna? Uh, yes, that is correct. Okay. Let, let's get to So I hear this all the time, um, and that is I don't want to get the vaccine because I'm trying to become pregnant. And I hear that from males and females. There are many men who believe that um, they will not be able to uh, impregnate their wives. They uh, will become impotent from the virus itself or their sperm will be ineffective. Can you discuss that further and try to get rid of some of this misinformation that's out there? Now, there has not been any association at all between the COVID vaccine or any other vaccine and infertility, either male or female. You know, any kind, there, has never been, there has never been a correlation shown. 
It doesn't impact a male's quality of the sperm. It does not affect a female's egg quality. It does not affect placental implantation. And the issue is back to the whole issue with the miscarriages, where infertility is very common to begin with. And so if people take a COVID vaccine and then have difficulty conceiving, they can start blaming themselves. They can start thinking, oh, was it the vaccine? But infertility is something that happens to a lot of couples to begin with. And I always tell people that if they're trying to get pregnant, the best thing they can possibly do is to get the vaccine. And actually, one of the things I do as a maternal fetal medicine specialist is preconception consultations. When women who do have some sort of medical issue come and speak with me about how to tune up their own health prior to trying to get pregnant. And every time I see a woman for a preconception consult, I do talk to her about COVID vaccination, about how you know, in today's day and age, it's one of the most important things you can do before trying. And, and I know there's a lot of um, misperceptions out there, a lot of misinformation about the COVID vaccine causing infertility. And because I'm one of those people who love late and light internet rabbit holes, I decided to Google this once about where this idea even comes from because there's never been any vaccine ever that's been associated with male or female infertility. And where this myth comes from is that there was some discredited scientist who put information out there that there's reactivity between the antibodies you form to the virus towards proteins that are on the placenta and that this would somehow block implantation. And there has never been any evidence to bear this out. And plenty of people have conceived after receiving COVID vaccines, and there's not an increased rate of infertility. Anna, in closing, what would you see the take-home message is today from your standpoint of maternal fetal medicine? You've given us so much to think about, but what, what would be the one message in closing uh, for our listeners today? To go out and get a COVID vaccine if you haven't already, and to encourage all the pregnant women in your life, anyone in your life who's breastfeeding, and everybody in your life in general to get vaccinated. And so we can put all this behind us. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for all your skill that you bring to our community. And especially thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you, Emma. And thank you for the opportunity to talk to you about such an important topic. That was Dr. Anna Natanson um, from Trinity Health of New England. And they always provide us with excellent, excellent guests. Um, a lot of questions coming in. Uh, one question I will take now, uh, and that is, Dr. Alessi, would you consider mandated organ donation? And the answer is yes, if I expect to receive an organ. Let me explain. I am part of a group um, that has specified that on my passing, my organs can only be shared with another organ donor. That's an important concept. So, do I mandate everybody has to donate their organs? No. But if you expect to receive an organ from someone else, you should also be someone who is willing to share their organs with others to keep them alive. I think that's only fair. And uh, I have specified that in uh, my will, as my family has as well. You'd be surprised. So you probably scratch your head saying, wait a second, someone could receive an organ and if they pass, 
and that organ is still viable, it can't be donated? Yes, that's true. There are people out there who have received organ donations who are not organ donors. And that's just not fair. So I hope I've answered your question uh, from that standpoint. With that, we're going to wrap up today's show. Next week, uh, my guest is going to be, as I mentioned, Dr. Jessica Abrantes Figueredo. She is an infectious disease specialist, and she's going to help us with some of the very insightful questions that have uh, been coming in. Again, if you want to get questions to me during the week, uh, you could reach me at info at alessimd.com, and I will answer those questions or, uh, when necessary, uh, get an expert in to do that. As always, I wish to thank Anthony Dorenzo, who's been on the board for us today. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. And um, as always, we're going to be pushing forward to try and get more people um, educated on the vaccine and the importance of getting it to help our neighbors. If you missed any part of today's program or want to listen to previous programs, go to the Healthy Rounds podcast. You can download it free on iTunes or Odyssey or wherever you get your um, podcasts. Next up on WTIC is going to be Law Talk with Attorney John Matulis. Please remember to help save lives. You can do that today by going out and getting vaccinated. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.